This is Song. And this is Sarah. This is Epping Ethical, where we try to make sense of all the choices facing consumers every day. Oh, man. So, Song, how how are you doing this week? It has been quite a week. <laughs> it has been quite a week indeed. Um, I just like... I don't know. I honestly have had a lot going on um, with work, with like, you know, family things, with like wrapping up before I head back to the States. Um, And yeah, I haven't been sleeping terribly well just because I've just like had Mm. a lot going on. And, you know, I have to Yeah, I don't know. I woke up this morning and I saw the news about RBG and Mm -hmm. I was just like, yeah, I'm devastated and I have no words and I'm going to have to like fully debrief my feelings and thoughts um, after this. But I, yeah, sorry, it's making me want to cry. So I'm going to stop talking about it. But uh, (laughs) yeah. What a week. Um, What a week indeed. Um, Yeah. So I guess, I mean, you and I haven't like caught up about (laughs) life in so long, but it took a gathering of, um, yeah, women alumni for us to kind of like chat and actually catch up about things outside of our podcast. And so we felt like it was well overdue for um, sort of a catch-up between the two of us, and um, sorry for imposing that on you, but <laughs> we wanted you to be a part of our kind of our journey as well, so. Yeah, and I, yeah. I feel like it's a good, I don't know, I feel like it's a good week for it. Not that this week is any different than any previous weeks, but um, something that we had talked about when starting our podcast and and before it was really based around like what what is our what privilege do we have how can we use our voices and how can we sort of like address and talk about things that are meaningful to us that we feel like we have something like to add to the discussion but in a way that's like helping broader themes right and i feel like this week, I've been thinking a lot about that. Like, who am I? What are the places I'm in? What are the perspectives I've, I have? And how can I use that um, even, even if it's like scary or in like a more public space, right? And in and, and a podcast that is like mostly for our friends and like a few others. <laughs> it like feels like a relatively safe place and being a part of our journey once again <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> but, um, um how has work been going um this week has been a lot uh so I work for a small nonprofit in the U.S. um I work part-time and it's kind of like a temporary like see where it's gonna go kind of thing Um, and there's, there's just like a lot of questions about the future of the organization, how they might grow, how they might change. Um, and that's like a lot of my, my work has been feeding into that. And this week has been a lot of kind of answering some of the big questions we had or like getting more information about the big questions we had that like are eventually going to lead to 
this like bigger decision by like the board of like what they're going to do. Um, and so it's just, it's just been stressful. Um, I really like this job and it's a type of role I've never done before, but it's also a type of role that requires a ton of creative thinking. And so my brain is like constantly ruminating on like different ideas to sort of address all of these things that are coming up or challenges or feedback we're getting, or like, maybe we need to explain things this way. And so I'm like waking up in the middle of the night thinking about it, not like waking up first thing in the morning thinking about it. Um, so I'm real glad it's Friday. Yeah. How has, how has, I mean, your work is changing. How, how has this week and those changes been? Um, so I guess just a little bit about my, like the big change in my life. Um, so I have, um, stepped in as co-founder and CEO of a med tech startup. So very, very different than anything that I was doing before starting school. Um, but I was kind of thinking about, you know, before I decided to, um, yeah, before I decided to do it, you know, I was sort of thinking through like what my through lines were, you know, what it was that I wanted out of, you know, my next kind of big step. And, you know, I was kind of reflecting on the reasons that I came to business school. So how do you redirect capital to underrepresented communities and under-resourced individuals and organizations in a way that actually leverages the structures of capitalism, um, right? And I was also interested in global supply chains, right, which is where um, a majority of the force, you know, forced labor takes place. And I used to work on forced labor. Um, and I was interested in what it would take to rebuild a system that safeguards the basic human rights of everyone in, in the value chains. And, you know, the reason that I cared about forced labor and human trafficking, I realized, um, was not so different than the reason I became interested in, um, in the issue that this startup is trying to tackle, which is, um, it's, it's basically, it's an AI, uh, it's an AI based device for, um, screening and monitoring for sickle cell. And, um, I knew nothing about it until I, sort of um, started working with these two, you know, these two co-founders. Um, but the more I got to know about the issue, I realized that there were so many similarities, right, to the reasons that I was, re that I was so invested in working on this issue of, of forced labor. So, I mean, there are stories that told and that stories that need to be told and that just aren't told enough. Sickle cell disease, it's something that kind of like strips individuals that are affected from basic rights, um, as I've come to learn. Um, it's, you know, also not something that's just like a faraway problem in Africa or the Middle East or Southeast Asia or what have you. It's an issue that actually affects our very own neighbors um, that we can be sort of willfully ignore ignorant of. Um, and it's also something that, like, it just takes one intervention to significantly change outcomes. Um, in my legal work, it was, like, having access to immigration status for some. Um, for others, it was having criminal justice representation, right? Um, and for sickle cell, especially in low-income countries, it's screening at birth and regular monitoring. And so I just... I 
yeah, I just wanted to sort of tell, I think, um, at my core, my kind of, um, I don't know, the way that I want to, to contribute to issues is to, like, be a storyteller, um, tell the stories that aren't being told, raise awareness and, and use that to create structural changes while also being able to do something tangible to improve the lives of people affected. Um, and so, yeah, I took a very kind of a sharp pivot into this new role and um, I'm learning a lot. Um, but yeah, it's been really, really fun um, and interesting and long hours, but cool. Um, I love that you talk about the through line piece and like not just looking at it as like, oh, this is something different, but more like, why am I interested in this? And what does that connect to like the broader themes I've had in my life? Um, I feel like it's hard to do, especially like in a pandemic when you're looking for a job when there's sort of this like external pressure. So that's like amazing that you like could take the time to like figure out those pieces and say like, yeah, this is the right place for me. Like you can take on a new role, use some skills that you've had, some that you've learned, some that you'll gain, um, but still be like working in a space that like fits um, with, with how you think of your role and, and purpose. Yeah, um, I appreciate that. It was a long journey and I had to do a lot of like, soul digging and um, kind of check in with my my reasons for for you know choosing to do this over over the other things and um, yeah it's been it's been I feel like it, it's it was the right move um, and I'm really excited about it <laughs> good congrats yeah. I'm, I'm excited Thank for you because it's like what are you doing after business school you finally know you have a plan yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Four months after graduation. Um, yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Um, how are you feeling about all of the sort of the big the bigger kind of changes and the waves of yeah, the waves of change that are coming over the organization that you're in currently? Um, good. I think that man, I, I feel so fortunate to have been given opportunities throughout my life to just like take the next best option. Um, I I think I had heard someone say that when I was younger, but the the memory that I have of that was when I was leaving Peace Corps, um, we have this like conference before you leave to kind of like prepare you to go back to the US. Um, and it has some, you know, real like logistical stuff, like you're most of you are 25 and you're applying for a job and how do you talk about Peace Corps on your resume and that kind of stuff. Uh, but one of the, one of our leaders um, described who, who had also been in the Peace Corps um, herself as a young woman described all of the decisions she made after Peace Corps as like making the next best decision. So while you can have some like long-term goals and that's important, but you know, pay attention to what's in front of you and and if you see something amazing, take those opportunities, right? Don't just say, well, it doesn't wow. fit with this previous idea that I had. Like, what is the actual opportunity you had? Um, and that's just really stuck with me. And so, yeah, I ended up in this role um, because, you know, I had graduated and I didn't have a job yet. And so instead of just applying to full-time stuff, I looked at 
part-time and temporary and um, so it's a it's a role that I kind of could could grow um, like came in just doing research and have grown into doing product development potentially like business development investor outreach depending on how the the changes go so um, I just feel really fortunate to have like taken that opportunity to do something different work with an organization that I wouldn't have necessarily had the opportunity to otherwise, um, but also sort of look backwards at a lot of the experiences I've had and say like, oh yeah, like I, I learned things in all of these other jobs that have kind of like prepared me to do this. Um, and I think that some of my big thinking has been um, similar in like through line thinking, like what are the, what are similarities? But it's more about like, what are my strengths and what is the role that I like to play? Because um, my past roles have always been very technical. So like I was an environmental scientist. I read environmental impact assessments. I determined how projects and companies were complying with international law and standards or local law. And that was super technical. And I just thought that I would have more years of technical work. Um, ahead of me, probably in finance. So as like a financial analyst, um, and I still might, like who, who knows what where the world might lead. But um, I'm realizing that the thing I'm good at is talking to people and making connections and talking to different stakeholders kind of on their level. So being able to empathize with different groups who are part of um, maybe a broader decision or a broader project and being able to bring them together and translate or develop systems or structures that can kind of bring people in. Um, and so it's, yeah, it's funny to be able to draw like literally what I did when I was working um, before going back to school, very, again, very much from like a technical analyst piece, but like I still did that. I had to do so much stakeholder engagement. I had to do internal stakeholder engagement. I had to do external stakeholder engagement. And I like was successful at it, like got some really key initiatives that made structures and processes better because I was good at talking to different stakeholders. And then to be able to kind of apply it to the work that I'm doing now and even think about like, what might the next role be? Like, maybe I shouldn't just be looking at technical things. Maybe I need to look, um, look into roles that, that lean a little bit more on my soft skills. Yeah. You are so good at like, I feel like talking to stakeholders, um, I mean, even in the spaces that I've been with you, but also just like seeing things and making connections between things that other people don't see. And also like having um, just like the boldness to, to, to make those connections out loud. Um, and in a way, you know, even if it's not the most like comfortable or things that other people were thinking of or were expecting or whatever it is. Um, I really just like appreciated your ability to, um, yeah, to always like constantly be making connections and bringing in, you know, things from um, your own experience or things that you have expertise in um, in just like an unabashed way. And I'm sure that in this role, like you're very much appreciated for all of the expertise that you bring, both like on subject matter things, but also um, in your skill set. So thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I'm so excited that you found something, even if it was, uh, you know, kind of, I don't know, left field. Um, mm -hmm. 
as you mentioned, I, I think, yeah, I think it's, it's been really cool to just like kind of hear your um, growth with it, hear how you've, how excited you've been to work with them. Um, I wanted to ask you about, um, you know, I guess we talked about it a little bit, but how you felt like your identity um, mm. was being touched on with your work, like if there are any sort of reflections about your identity um, and, and how it's been kind of like fitting into to your role now. Yeah. Um, that's, that, that's such, that's such a good question. It, it got brought up, um, in that, uh, gathering that we were part of last week, but yeah, it's, so it's really interesting. I think I've thought about myself as being like very young for a long time and I'll, I'll be 31 on Sunday. So while that is still technically very young when it comes to <laughs> Um, when it comes to like a lifetime, like I've lived, like I've had, you know, 10 years post undergrad, I've lived kind of all over the world at this point, all over the country, certainly. Um, and I've had a lot of experiences. And for me, a big part of my identity that I've always, like never shied away from, but also never like highlighted um, is my faith. And I think a big part of that is that I was, I don't know, like what I'm realizing, literally so many people of our generation um, who were raised in like relatively conservative evangelical churches who sort of either grew up kind of knowing that there was some bullshit there or <laughs> have like since realized that. Um, and I've felt that for a long time. It never affected kind of the core of my faith, but it definitely questioned, it definitely had me questioning what type of church, you know, church building, gathering of people do I want to be part of? Or um, what leaders am I listening to? And for the past, especially the past, I'd say seven years, um, pretty much since I got back from Peace Corps, I've been really focusing on just listening to a diverse set of leaders within the Christian community who can who can speak to that, right? Who can call out the evangelical church for the bullshit um, can speak to what faith means, what faith shown through actions means. Um, and I, I just never felt like it mattered that like I was a Christian in any space that I was in, or it rarely mattered. Um, but what I had mentioned last week and have continued to reflect on is in 2020, being a white Christian woman matters a lot. <laughs> that is like a key voting block right? Um, you know, I, I literally live in a suburb right now. Like I just could not be more like quintessential, like potential swing voter um, in, in like the, the demographic. And yeah, I've just been thinking a lot about like, like I am no longer young in my faith, in my work, in life. And there's now more opportunity for me to, to speak up about organizations and problems and but also like give hope to to situations because that's just like true to who I am like I'm just never going to be that person who's going to call people out on Twitter not because I like don't like those people or think that there's like any shame in doing that but because I would never call someone out without a like 
here is a potential solution or like, have you considered this angle? So like the, the social media back and forth, like is, is not going to be the platform that I choose to talk about these things in. Um, but yeah, it's just something that I've been thinking a lot in. And um, like another piece of it, like you said, is the, the, is in the work that I'm doing. Um, The organization that I work for is not a faith-based organization, but they've traditionally been financed by mostly faith-based organizations and so there's also this piece of identity where like I understand churches and church structures and church politics and priorities and so there's this like navigating those systems that I realize like oh I there's a benefit to the fact that I like grew up in the church and can can navigate these spaces so it's been really interesting. I think it's it's probably something I'm going to start talking a lot more about um, because it's not like a, a time for those older leaders that I have followed to sort of pass to to younger leaders, but also time for people in their their twenties and and thirties to say like you know we're here too. Like we are not a generation who was completely lost from the church, but we're also one who are going to be really clear about. Um, the, the problems that we see in the church, especially in, in America today. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I love that you are leaning into your identity, just like in general, like in your personal life, but that you also have an opportunity to do so in your work. And I think it's so cool when you can um, find yourself in a space where like you don't have to, not only do you not have to be apologetic about any part of your identity, but that those parts of your identity are like valued and that brings perspective, right? Um, like really, really important perspective. So I think that's so awesome. Um, and I loved what you said about not just like you know, um, be, being disappointed in the leaders of X, but um, like kind of recognizing that it's, yeah, that we're in that position now, um, that it's our generation that's going to step up and change things, like change the culture. And I really feel like with, you know, evangelical Christianity, the tides are changing, I hope. I mean, fingers crossed. Um, I, you know, just like quick kind of side (laughs) note, it's funny because when we were creating our Instagram account, I don't know if you remember this, Sarah, but so Sarah made the Instagram account while she was in rural Washington. Um, oh. and <laughs> oh my gosh. I like logged on <sighs> to post our first post or whatever. And I saw this like Trump 2020 ad and I freaked out. I like scre- took a screenshot. I was like, oh my gosh, Sarah, like look who's targeting us. Um, they don't even know what this podcast is about. Like, look at them. And I was just kind of laughing and she was like, oh no, they, they send that to everyone. And I was like, I never got one of those. Like I've only been getting (laughs) Biden, you know, Biden blasts. And then we were like, oh, it's because I'm an Asian woman in New York city and (laughs) are a white woman in rural Washington. Interesting. Yeah. Um, Oh my gosh. I was like, they know I'm a swing voter. I mean, I'm not a swing voter to be clear. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. I just, and I think that like I, so I constantly seek out spaces like literally the conversations that we have on this podcast, where it's less about being right or being wrong or being against, but more about just 
like dissecting what's going on and then trying to offer solutions or changes that work for for all parties um even if it's even if it's not even right i i don't ever think that like negotiation or stakeholder engagement results in in anything that sort of evenly benefits everyone i think that there are situations where there are certain parties who need to be more benefited um based on a whole lot of reasons and then there's also parties where there's some, you know, you have to give a little bit, but there's going to be some later benefit. But that's, that's just to say that, um, like, I am so glad that we're doing this. And um, the I know that we we were sort of like brainstorming like other things to talk about because they're very like top of mind. But there's a lot of um, just like things going on in the world right now that I was realizing, man, like, I, like I want to be in the room where these things get negotiated because they need some like empathy and some like here's how the other side is thinking and some like anyways so when I was like thinking of things this week I was literally looking for like where where like I as an empathetic negotiator and connector like could have been useful or like could be useful in the future yeah um, <laughs> Yeah. Um, I mean, in all the spaces is the answer. It's just like in all the spaces, <laughs> um, we need an empathetic negotiator that will be open to, um, yeah, thoughts and ideas and, you know, whatever from all sides. Something that I, I guess I wanted to sort of tie in um, to my thoughts about when I uh, kind of like transitioned into this role Um so Sarah, you had like brought up Fairphone um, and I honestly, like I did not know what that was until I looked it up and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so interesting. Like they're, um, so for those of you who have never heard of them, um, it is a smartphone company that is, um, I guess, working to sort of change the industry uh, because, you know, cell phones are, are smartphones, right? Like on average, I guess we chuck them every two years. And so it leads to an extraordinary amount of waste. Obviously, um, you know, it's, there's a lot of, you know, kind of things around conflict minerals and um, labor rights issues around people making our phones and, and whatnot. And so it's this phone that um, is made as ethically as possible currently. Um, and so it's just like really kind of an interesting and cool concept. And so I like went down a, a kind of a little bit of a rabbit hole um, with them yesterday. And it really, I don't know, it made me reflect on um, on what it means to like truly be ethical as a business now because I think before I was coming at it from the perspective of the consumer, right? Like what does it mean for a business to be ethical? But now as I'm leading a, you know, a small, you know, small business startup and I am in a position where I have to start making decisions about things like where is everything sourced, right? Um, and thinking about how that ties into our core mission, it's just like, yeah, the, the decisions are so hard that they, it's, um, so with Fairphone, for example, 
there is, um, compared to, I guess, the functionality um, of like a similar phone with the exact same sort of functionality and specs and everything, you're basically paying a 200 euro um, premium for it to be ethically sourced, right? Uh, and, and, you know, for those who care about that and for those who it's a big value in it and for those who want to make a statement with their dollars, with something that's literally like an extension of them, right? Like that 200 euros um, is worth the cost, right? But kind of thinking about um, about our product, uh, which is again, it's a AI-based diagnostic device um, for sickle cell and other red blood uh, red blood cell diseases. So the point is, like the point of our device is to bring down the cost of diagnosis from um, about $65 to under $2 so that everybody can get screened. Um, so in the US, there is sort of mandatory screening at birth. And so um, if you have sickle cell as a baby, you know it. But in um, like Sub-Saharan Africa, for example, where the majority of um, sickle cell patients are about, you know, uh, there are different numbers, but between 50 and 90% of all, um, I guess, children born with sickle cell disease die before the age of five. And that's simply because they're, they're not able to access screening at birth. And so by bringing down costs and making it available, making this, um, you know, diagnostic tool available, to, to hopefully much, much, much more people, it's giving them um, a, a chance at life, essentially. Um, and if the point of the product is to bring down costs, make it accessible, the trade-off, I, I, you know, we have to like consider the trade-offs between um, what will be cost-effective and um, what will be sourced in the most, you know, ethical and sustainable way possible, right? And so I haven't, you know, dug enough into our supply chain to like have that answer right now. But yeah, I just realized just um, the amount of, of kind of like thought and research um, and, and difficult decision making that's going to have to happen. I'm also so like happy for you for taking on this challenge. Um, did I, I I don't know if you were there or if you remember this, but in the class we had to take about managing employees, the name of the class has changed since we were there. Um, <laughs> did you when we had to go to like an extra class, did you happen to go to the one about startups? I did not. So um I like this is one of those like I said something out loud and it felt a little uncomfortable but I got like snaps from the women in the audience um but so something based on my experience and I think you probably have a similar perspective for a lot of reasons but the the the, the fear or the nervousness I've often had about really small organizations or startups is that depending, well, everything depends on like the personalities of the founders, right? How everything is going to be managed when you start to hire people, 
what type of respect they're given, Mm -hmm. what their employee contracts look like. Um, Because you literally can't have HR when you have three people. (laughs) Like you, you you can't even have HR with five people or 10 people. Like it, you have to grow to a certain scale um, for there to be HR. And, and I'm sure many people know this, but like, to be clear, HR is technically there to protect the company, not the employees, but they are a really good avenue for, for all parties to be kind of respected and understood in, in negotiating situations. But, but anyway, so I just got so nervous because honestly you have these like asshole men who are like real proud of themselves for the product they came up with or their new startup. Mm -hmm. And like, they have no management skills and no empathy and they're not necessarily thinking about how like the needs of their, their women employees or just any employees, right? Like they're just really only thinking about themselves. And I've always just been, that's always made me really nervous. Um, And from working on a really small team this summer, what I will say is when you are working on a small team with people who are open and they're responsive and they're empathetic, it's so much easier. And I'm so glad that there are women and women of color who are, you know, jumping into leadership roles and startups to be like, we're going to do it different. Like we, we're going to make different, different decisions. Um, we're gonna, we're gonna manage things well. We're gonna, you know, like you said, you're going to be really thoughtful about where you're acquiring all of your materials. Um, instead of just coming at it from a perspective of like, we have to go with like the cheapest, you know, it's all about the bottom line period. And we'll figure it out later because too many startups have been it's bottom line first. We'll figure out the rest later only to have to go back and like fix all the problems that they have built into the structure unknowingly along the way. Yeah. Yeah. One of the, I guess one of the, the first kind of reasons that, um, my co my two co-founders you know like said that they you know they wanted to you know when they were first inviting me onto the team they kept saying we don't want this to be a toxic male environment um and the two of them are like brilliant engineers they have skill sets that i could never wish you know never even <laughs> dream of um getting in my lifetime but they are two male engineers, and I think a lot of founders who have who are brilliant and who have these like brilliant ideas that they want to take forward, as you said, they're not necessarily thinking about the company. They are just thinking about the product, um, and you know they keep reiterating just how much they appreciate my you know my presence and my perspectives because you know, by the little things, like literally on our first call, um, I was talking to them about like onboarding processes and um, things to make it a more, like a better environment for um, certain employees, right? And I think I'm, I'm really grateful to be in a place with, with folks who are so receptive um, and like humble about the things that that maybe they don't know or that they um, aren't necessarily in the best position to to kind of dictate. I love that. I feel like there's, I don't know, whenever I think of organizations that have thought a lot about culture or sustainability or systems in this way, it's it's just so rare that they built them in, 
right? And like, how much easier is it if you don't have to go back and fix things? If you don't have like a lawsuit because you didn't think about it or um, just like have to fire a bunch of people because there's some like toxic culture or whatever. So um, I think that those those two guy engineers uh, who found you um, are, are fortunate that they, and like kudos to them for thinking like we literally need diversity in our founder team period. And like looking at diversity on every angle, right? It wasn't just like, oh, we're men and we need a woman. It's like, we have strengths. We're engineers. We know product. We don't know any of the rest of this shit. Like we need someone who like (laughs) can think about it. And like, you're so perfect for that. Yeah. Um, they're, yeah, they're so wonderful. And, you know, even as just like a super, super early startup, um, they've done things to kind of put their stake in the ground and to actually live out what they value um, in small and big ways. And I've just really appreciated um, them for that. So thank you for listening to Ething Ethical. Check us out on Instagram at F-I-N-G Ethical and on our website at songandsarah.com. We'd love to hear from you. What industries or systems do you have questions about? How are you making ethical decisions in everyday life? 2020 is hard and we would love to hear about how it's going for you. Thanks.